Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Kevin is off in Udine, so he'll be giving us a report from the Far East Asian Film Festival. He'll also be talking a little bit about Zhou Dongyu's latest film in Nail Clipper Romance. And while I didn't get out to find out the fate of The Furious, I did find A Lost Village, so I'll be talking a little bit about the latest Smurfs movie. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us remotely from a quiet cafe in Udine will be Mr. Kevin Ma. So hello, everyone. We are recording a little bit non-linearly this week uh, as Kevin is traveling abroad. He's been over in Udine at the Far East Asian Film Festival and moving and shaking with some of the biggest names in Asian cinema. I would urge you to, uh, you know, definitely stop by and take a look at his Facebook feed for some of the, um, you know, more interesting events that he's been involved with and some of the people he's happened to, uh, you know, meet along the way. So just pop over to Facebook and look up his feed under Kevin Ma, and you can definitely check out some of those uh, shots. Um, and because we are not sort of in the same virtual room we are recording this, as I said, a little bit non-linearly, so it may sound a little bit different from um, a, a standard normal episode. I'm going to try and mesh it together to be as seamless as possible, uh, but we do apologize if it sounds a little bit disjarring compared to what you are normally used to. But um, after he gives a short update on the festival itself and some of the more interesting things going on there, he is going to do a review of Zodongyu's latest rom-com film, the film called Nail Clipper Romance, and once that is done, I'll be coming back to talk a little bit about the latest in the Smurfs franchise, the fully animated 3D film, Smurfs The Lost Village. So, as I usually do, uh, let me stop gabbing on here, and we will throw the virtual talking stick over to Kevin in Udine. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm sitting here in Udine, Italy. Uh, I'm here at the Udine Far East Film Festival. This is the 19th edition. I'm sitting in my hotel room, which is why there's a strange echoey sound. And uh, well, I'm going to deliver a couple of things. I'm going to talk about the festival so far. Today is um, Thursday, uh, April 27th, which makes this day seven of the festival. I think there's two more days left. Um, I've seen quite a bit of films already. Um, and I think we're going to come and come back and, and talk about um, some of the Hong Kong films that I got to watch. Um, in the next episode, I think I'll talk about Love Off the Cuff, the new Pan Ho Chun film, which I saw here. Um, and uh, the last day of the festival, I'll be watching uh, Shockwave, um, uh, Herman Yao's The Sleep Curse, and also uh, Sheskin Papa, which is uh, the film by Roy Sido starring Francis Ng that will be playing at, on the last day of the festival. 
Uh, but today, uh, I'm going to be talking about Nail Clipper Romance. This is the um, directorial debut of cinematographer Jason Kwan, uh, who got his start uh, with uh, director Pan Wu Chan. His, I think his first notable work as a cinematographer was uh, Love of the Puff. I'm sorry, Love in a Puff. We're just playing here um, also at the festival uh, under the Creative Visions um, Hong Kong Cinema 1997-2017 program. Um, and so I think only that one, not the second film, is not playing. The second film is not playing here. But anyway, um, first of all, I'm going to talk about the festival a little bit. Uh, this is my first time, my first visit at the Far East Film Festival. But it's a, it's a film festival that I've admired, uh, something that I, a place that I wanted to visit for a long time um friend of the show or friends of the show tim youngs and uh, uh ross chan of love hk film they are frequent visitors here at the festival um especially tim because he's actually a consultant here for the festival um so i've been wanting to come here for for quite a long time and this is my first visit and i find that the festival is incredibly warm um the audience is very receptive um and and it's just a really great atmosphere and it's kind of unlikely because you you never thought about this small town in uh northeastern italy as sort of the such a great place for asian films but yet um the team here um has really really built up something amazing here uh, what i find interesting here is that uh the big film well pretty much most of the films um are shown in a very large um theater that was as I actually used usually used for uh opera i believe um and they've converted it into a very um great cinema uh it's called teatro novo uh Udine. um it's about i think a thousand seats or so a thousand two hundred seats and um with three levels so just imagine everyone watching this this film on a, in, in a huge screen and and when the reception of a film is, is great it it, it is really really great um the the festival is is um i think every filmmaker here is quite spoiled <laughs> in a good way um they come here and they get a lovely reception um they sit right in the middle of the theater uh with everyone um watching the film they hear every laugh every applause and at the end of the film when the credits are rolling the festival director um will come out and uh stand up and give the director his moment in the spotlight and um is surrounded by a thousand applauding audiences and it's it's a great experience um and I, you know, it's a, I actually have a guest of honor bash this year because uh, I, I wrote a couple of reviews um, for the festival and I did some um, um, uh, writing and I did some uh, moderating, actually. This is my first time moderating a festival panels, so uh, I got to host a uh, panel with uh, Taiwan director Wei Te Shen. Uh, for 52 Hertz, I Love You, and also Neil Wu for uh, the romance drama um, at Cafe 6. And tomorrow, uh, I will be hosting another panel with um, director Giddens Ko, who you, you may know for as the director of uh, You're the Apple of My Eye. And um, he's here with Mon 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 Monsters, uh, a very well-made um kind of monster high school horror 
uh, dark comedy uh, deal that I think is going to get a very nice festival run uh, from here. This is the second uh, public screening after its premiere at the Hong Kong International Film Festival. Um, and another thing I kind of find really amazing about this film festival is is how often you see actually a full show. Um, it, it's just you find that the audience here really are really receptive and they're really um, open-minded in, in, in a way that they, they have total trust in the team here um, in that they will come up and show up for really the most unlikely films. I mean, a Korean action drama, and then you got Feng Xiaogang's I Am Not Madame Bovary, and then you have um, last night, which we watched the 4K restoration of uh, Made in Hong Kong uh, for the 20th anniversary of the film, and, and it was a packed house. There wasn't one empty seat. Um, and it's amazing. Like I said, it's, it's hard to imagine that this, this small town in Italy we have such passionate uh, fans uh, for Asian cinema. Of course, they're not all from Udine. Um, I've been told that there are people from around the region uh, all come here from um, outside of town and they come here um, to to watch these films. Um, and of course, as as a guest of the festival, I've been treated to, to very nice uh, dinners, um, wine tastings and lunches and meals and um, and the whole hotels and we're incredibly we have access to every screening uh to the press area and things like that and it's just been but i'm not going to talk too much about that because that's really not really an experience that not everyone um or the listeners can have so i'm trying to promote the festival by talking about what you can get when you come here and what you can get here is an amazing atmosphere um really great selection of asian films and and just an all-round um, amazing theatrical experience, and uh, it's something that I think um, I recommend for for our European uh, audience, uh, anyone who, who can you know take a weekend or take a few days, uh, fly down to Italy, um, come in from Venice, and and just spend a few days here and soak yourself in in the films, uh, the festival. It, it's really a an Asian movie lover's dream, I think, uh, of any continent, any country. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say that I finally made it here, and I love it here. Okay, so now we're going to talk about A Nail Clipper Romance, which is playing at the festival. I saw the film actually in Hong Kong. Um, so, so I get to review it. Um, uh, but first, the plot. Uh, this is the, like I said, this directorial debut of Jason Kwan and is produced by Pang Chen. The story is actually um, originally um, a short story by Pang Chen. Um, and the, the story was um, adapted once as a 40-minute short film. 
uh, by uh, Derek Zhang and Jimmy Wan. Uh, Jimmy Wan is one of the script writers also of uh, Love Off the Cuff. So it is very much a Pang Ho Chan production. And this is sort of the feature length, but this is the feature length expansion of that story. Uh, it's entirely set in Hawaii. It stars Joseph Chang as Sean, um, who after being dumped, uh, he gets into a surfing accident. And after he's released from the hospital, he goes and meets, he goes to a party and meets a girl there and falls for her. This girl is played by Zhou Dongyu. Um, she draws him into her strange world and soon confesses that she follows an unusual diet. She only eats nail clippers. Sean, uh, in love with this girl, uh, loses his head and decides to help her realize her dream of opening a bar for other nail clipper eaters. Now, it's, um, even though Sean's friends try to convince him that this girl, um, so-called nail clipping nail clipper eating habit is a scam he nevertheless falls for it so um is the film is entirely set in hawaii but um there's no real reason why the film never explains why it has to be set in hawaii so obviously it's a mostly an aesthetic choice um it's it's really kind of a i guess a way for pang Sharon and the team to get um a few months in italy oh sorry in hawaii uh, the beaches and everything like that. In fact, I heard that Pang Chan actually, because the film, um, they were shooting with local unions and they could only shoot 10 hours a day, Pang Chan managed to learn how to surf during his time in Hawaii. Um, and uh, so the film, it, it comes with a real weird setup. Um, of course, the story itself about this woman who eats nail clipper already defies um, uh, logic. And of course, the film's, the film constantly challenges that logic. It can't be real. This can't be real. This cannot be real. Now, whereas the short film with uh, um, Jimmy Wan and, and Derek Zhang, which stars Joe Shun, um, uh, and I forgot who else at the moment, but at least in that film, you actually see Joe Shun put a nail clipper into her mouth and, and chew it. Um, here, that doesn't, Joe Dong Yu doesn't do that. Joe Dong Yu just you know, pulls off that, that whole, like, you, you believe me, you believe me, you love me kind of argument. And, and none of it is really convincing. That's the problem is the point of a con is that you have to make it convincing. Or if you're trying to convince your viewers that this is a possibility, this is something that would happen that, 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 um, we shouldn't doubt the story and, and to take it into that sort of, uh, odd territory, it, it really should have done more to convince it, in fact. So in, instead, you know, I feel like Joseph Chang is a dupe from the beginning. You know, he's, he's being duped at the beginning, and you don't feel like um, this, this, this idea of a nail clipper eater is even a convincing concept. Uh, of course, the ultimate, the film, ultimately the film is talking about, um, you know, trust, right? It's about when you fall head over heels, when you fall in love, you, you throw in all your trust. And, and, you know, that would be a convincing argument if it was better executed. That's what I'm trying to say here. And, and it is, it, it's offbeat story, but um, I think uh, Jason Kwan doesn't really have the ability to, to do it in a offbeat. He can't really convey that style with the film if that makes any sense 
um, he he doesn't really have the skills to to make a distinct style and to make it even more weirder than that ma- weirder style that matches the story, and ultimately it just feels a bit whole hump, which is really odd. It, it feels um, painfully average for a film with this type of story, and and it's um, so a bit of a, a the, the the fact that it's so it's so mediocre comes out actually even more strange than the actual story. Um, and talk about the actors, Joseph Chang is fine. Um, he's always been an okay actor. Um, uh, this role, his role isn't particularly hard to play. Um, it's, um, but the problem is that he is painfully mismatched with Zhou Dongyu. Zhou Dongyu is this quirky younger girl who's like, I think like what, 12 years younger than him or something like that. And, and the, 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 whereas some actors can pull off that age difference or that, that the chemistry there, there is zero chemistry between Joseph Chang and Zhou Dongyu. You can't really feel why, why he, he's even in love with her in the first place. And that's quite, um, difficult to understand. Um, and it doesn't really make for, um, it doesn't really hold up for the rest of the film, if you know what I mean. It, it, it um, makes you wonder why you're, why you're even following. You, even, you don't even want to root for them because they're not really quite a, a couple that, that matches well. Um, and you don't quite see why John is even in love with this girl. You don't quite understand, except that she's Zhou Dongyu and she's doing a Zhou Dongyu thing. Um, and I guess that could charm the socks off any any 30 mid 30 man in mid 30s or you know early 40s um so unfortunately it's it's really quite um a flop i i, I don't know if i hated the film it's it's actually enjoyable while you're watching i mean Ikin chan shows up as a as a wise man which would come i think which amuse uh hong kong film fans um otherwise there is little it's hard film is a hard film to hate 100 percent, but it's also really, really difficult to feel anything for it. Um, so it's a result I, I kind of can't recommend this, especially if you've seen previous adaptations of a story or if you read the novel or if you're familiar with the story. Um, it's hard to recommend it. Um, but uh, if you do come out, you know, if you do see this film and you come out, and perhaps it would encourage you to try and learn Chinese to read Pong's story or to... Um, watch the short uh then go ahead uh, that that's at least you know that's a good thing that comes out of it um and for the record i have not read the original story by Han pang Chen. i don't remember if i've seen i've seen parts of the short by derek Zhang and jimmy wan but i don't think i ever got to um the ending um so it's just n- it's just a great concept. I mean, the concept comes from uh, when uh, Pao Chen was young and he he saw that nail clippers were going, was going missing at home. So he had this really offbeat, weird explanation for it. Um, and, and it's a great basis for story. But um, as a film here, it just kind of falls flat. Um, so that's it here at the festival. Um... Uh, hopefully, I, I might bring my mic out and try and do a bit more recording. Uh, maybe I'll record Eric Zhang's uh, award acceptance 
Later tonight, he's accepting a Lifetime Achievement Award for Mad World, and I actually got to shake hands with him and actually took a photo of him, which is pretty amazing. Um, I've been incredibly starstruck. I met some really Japanese actors that I really like, uh, and it's just, again, been an incredible experience. Um, but until then, that's it so far here from Italy uh, at the Far East Film Festival. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, Paul, back to you. And for our West Screen review this week, as I said, was hoping to get out and see the latest in the uh, Fast and the Furious franchise called The Fate of the Furious. Um, But, you know, as things happen, life gets in the way and other things come up and there was a Smurfs movie that got released. And for the longest time, my young one had been asking, when's the Smurfs movie coming? It takes a long time. When is it coming? So... We finally got the release of the latest in the franchise of the little blue guys, and that is Smurf's Lost Village. So we went out to watch that instead and had a very good time, so I figured it would be a nice chance to talk a little bit uh, about that film for this week. So this film is coming from uh, director Kelly Asbury, and it's a little bit of a divergence from the previous incarnations, if you've seen those. Um the ones that were kind of a blend of animation and live action starring uh, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, among others. This has a different voice cast altogether, um, with the exception of Frank Welker, who um, does some of the uh, voice work for um, Azrael the Cat, and he did voice work on the other two films, I think, for Azrael the Cat as well. He's really the only sort of connective link the character designs, though, are fairly recognizable for, you know, characters that you've seen. Some slight, perhaps, you know, design improvements, but, it, I mean, really, it does connect fairly strongly back to um, the previous two films, even though there's not a direct narrative connection, per se. I mean, it's still building on the Smurfs genre, and some of the lore there with regard to Smurfette. Smurfette plays a very strong uh, central figure here in in terms of the narrative, and so it, there is some callback to her her origin and and things like that. So if you're familiar with the animated show, you're familiar with um, the movies. Um, there are ref- points of reference there that that come back, but th- primarily this is a standalone film, and it's primarily directed at kids. So if you think of film like Trolls from last year. Um, it's really going after th- that sort of target group. There is some humor here that will be intended for adults in a little bit of the dialogue, but primarily this is being sold as a very straight family-friendly film, and so I'll talk a little bit more in terms of uh, those elements. Um, the director you know, has worked on notable films like Shrek 2 and um, uh, Nomeo and Juliet, um, among others. I think he worked on the 2D film... Um, spirit stallion of the Cimarron so uh, he's got a lot of uh, animation experience uh, under his belt and here he is bringing sort of this franchise um, back into the full sort of 3D realm rather than sort of the the live action slash 3D that the previous two films did the story basically is when uh, Smurfette discovers Um, an odd garment from a figure that has come from the Forbidden Forest, this place where the Smurfs are are not allowed to go. 
um, she thinks she might have discovered uh, a lost tribe of Smurfs. But when their evil adversary Gargamel gets wind of this, um, he plans to go and locate the lost village first so he can use the Smurfs in some kind of alchemical concoction to steal their power, their steal their magic, and make himself the most powerful sorcerer uh, around. And in, you know, doing so, um, Smurfette ends up feeling somewhat uh, guilty about re accidentally revealing the location of this p possible new village of Smurfs. And so she decides to go with um, some of her friends, including Brainy and Clumsy and Hefty Smurf, off into the Forbidden Forest, despite the protests from Papa Smurf, in an attempt to warn um, this new village. So that sort of sets up the overall narrative arc, um, with Smurfette really taking a very strong lead as a central character here. Um, you do get... Um, you know, good supporting voice work overall. Demi Lovato takes on uh, the voice role of uh, Smurfette. And Joe Manianello, who you may remember from things like True Blood or the most recent uh, uh, Pee Wee movie that was done through Netflix, uh, among other things. Uh, he's here as Hefty Smurf, a new Smurf. And, you know, because of his physique, I guess they decided to go with... Uh, uh, a hefty Smurf who's, a, you know, his thing is being hefty and strong and having muscles. Um, along with uh, Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock, who voices Clumsy Smurf, and Danny Pudi from Community, among other things, who takes on the role of Brainy Smurf. Um, they all do a very good job. You've also got uh, people like Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Megan Trainer, uh, Mandy Patankin, and Julia Roberts lending their voices to various characters as well. Uh, Mandy Patankin in particular, he takes over the role of Papa Smurf um, from Jonathan Winters, who I think did both of the live-action films, and he does a very capable job um, at, in, in that role as well, because Papa Smurf is sort of the central morality figure, if you will, you know, the leading father figure of um, the Smurfs. And so as the characters end up going on this journey, they encounter uh, a variety of strange new things because they go into the Forbidden Forest. They're not sure what to expect, and things are very different there. And ultimately, they encounter the Lost Village and the beings that live there. I won't say too much about that for fear of spoilers, but it is an interesting encounter. And surprisingly, um, they actually borrow for this lost village a, a few aspects, a few Asian aspects um, that uh, looks like they're derived from things like uh, dragon dances and uh, some other perhaps uh, Asian cultural elements that are thrown in, thrown in there. It's not a direct sort of co-op of Asian culture. They're not Asian Smurfs, as it were, um, but it they, they do, you know, throw in a few cultural touches there um, that you know, fans of Asian culture, or Asian films, well, they'll still see some things that look um, a little bit interesting. So in terms of the the story and the narrative itself, it's very simple. It's, again, kind of playing down to kids. There are some action sequences uh, as they go through the, the Forbidden Forest and as they have encounters with Gargamel and Asriel, and um, he has a sort of a pet vulture, too, um, who he brings along as uh, a sort of secondary henchman. And 
they, you know, have a couple encounters. Violence is pretty low-key. There's some slapstick violence for the most part, cartoony violence. This film is a bit more in line with the cartoons, the 2D cartoons, than the sort of 3D um, live-action slash live-action films. Um, so it's, you know, it's less dark in some ways, uh, a bit more cartoony, but the colors are still vibrant, and it's some, you know, a very, very nice animated feature to look at. And I, I, again, I say it shares a lot in common with the Trolls movie, but perhaps the where Trolls movie is slightly superior is in terms of the soundtrack, because you did have uh, Justin Timberlake on Trolls doing um, all the, you know, sort of music and arrangement for that film. And so that film as a musical kind of stands out a little bit better. Um, and, you know, this film has a song that was geared for it, but it's not a musical as such. So um, not there, there's not much there in the way of a truly, I would say, truly memorable soundtrack. Um, whereas, you know, uh, Trolls, my daughter listens to Troll <laughs> kind of on a loop practically whenever we go anywhere. So, um, in, you know, in, in by by comparison, perhaps not quite as memorable as as Trolls may be for some young ones, simply because it lacks sort of that um, that 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 ability for kids to go back to it musically uh, and the musical cues. But um, you know, I'd say in terms of some of the action and, and a little bit of the cartoony violence, it's fine for young children. My, my daughter's four and a half, and she seemed to have a really good time with it. She seemed to enjoy it a lot. Um, and she's a bit picky when it comes to some things. We took her, I think the last film we took her to see was um, Sing, uh, the, the sort of animated musical voice competition style uh, story and she was a bit bored with that and she remembers kind of being a bit bored with that but she really had a good time with this one so I'd say it's perfectly fine for four and a half or older um, you know a bit younger it probably would still keep their attention much like Trolls did and again the story's not too deep where it's going to lose them um, and it's not you know something that you need to be a little bit more, more mature maybe to, to work with um, because most of the most of the challenges that the Smurfs are encountering are physical encounters, and then they do, when they get to the Lost Village, um, you know, there are some there are some issues uh, to be worked out. There's a, there's a message here of, um, you know, about belonging, and uh, some have pointed out that this is a very sort of strong girl power movie, and that is true because again, Smurfette does take a sort of a leading role, and that's you know kind of nice to see because in the cartoons she was kind of an add-on character um, in a lot of ways. And so this film tries to, um, you know, take things in a slightly different direction, um, which I think is appropriate for, for the era. So good, you know, overall entertaining film. Uh, if you are somebody who enjoys animation, if you like the Smurfs, I think you'll like this film, especially, again, if you are somebody who was maybe not too on board with the live-action uh previous two films but you liked the cartoons this one is a bit more of a re return to form and you'll enjoy it um, but some adults may be just a, a tad bit bored um, if they're looking for something that's a bit more adult a bit more engaging because again you don't sort of have the 
Neil Patrick Harris character here. Um, you don't have Hank Azaria as Gargamel. That's the one thing I kind of missed because I really did appreciate and enjoy his sort of cartoonish yet live-action version of Gargamel. Um, but the voice actor who um, has taken over the role here, which I believe is Rain Wilson, does a, a great job. And um, so, you know, it's... It, you know, it's it's fine, but it's again a return to the more sort of uh, Saturday morning cartoon version of Gargamel. So, it, you know, it's a film to see if you like animation and if you've got kids uh, who like animation. I think you know, as a family outing, you'll have a good time with it. Probably not something that you'd necessarily need to go out and see on your own um, as an adult, unless you're a super fan. You can probably wait for video for it. And um, again, not much in way of a soundtrack that makes it memorable, but it's the Smurfs and it's, uh, you know, it's a fine entry into that property. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor, Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you'd like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can find us over on Twitter, twitter.com slash kongcast can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us over on Facebook at East S West S. So if you've seen any of the films we talked about this week, you liked them, you didn't like them, you know, drop us a line, let us know what you thought. I would also urge you to follow along with Kevin and all that he's doing. You can find him on Twitter at The Golden Rock, and you can follow him also in his new blog slash news site that is Asia in Cinema, so check that out. And as always, if you're flying anywhere on Cathay, you can check him out also in Discover Magazine. Uh, please do check out our friends over at Podcast on Fire as well. And myself and Kevin have been um, recently guest hosting over there for the melodrama series that uh, Kenneth is putting together. It's going to be focusing on some of the more famous melodrama films from the 90s. So if that kind of thing interests you, you know, uh, give them a listen and uh, let them know what you think. Um, so yeah, check definitely check that out if you get a chance. Next show, episode two two four. I'm not sure what films we're going to be covering just yet. I've got to wait for Kevin to get back from his travels abroad so we can coordinate a little bit more. But we'll be talking about something. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing wherever you are in the world, and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.